while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today, you know how I love film and talking to film people, I have an actor who is the star of Career Opportunities in Organized Crime. You may recall about four months ago, I did speak with the director, but today is the star, Malcolm Mills. And uh, we're talking uh, today because, uh, again, on behalf of Career Opportunities in Organized Crime, which is the first ever virtual reality feature-length film. And it is going to be released on Wednesday, August 31st, on Real House, that's R-E-E-L, realhouse.org, on iOS, Android, and desktop. Welcome, please, Malcolm Mills to The Reasonable Voices. How are you? Great, great. Thank you. (laughs) A man of few words. Well, I have to say a little bit about Malcolm, and and, uh, I promise I'll let him talk. Malcolm, I just love this. He was born in L.A., raised in Maine, and lives in New York City. Now, is he not a full-blooded American? I'll tell you, he's got he's seen everything we got. <laughs> Malcolm, how do you feel about that? No wonder, by the way, he writes horror comedy plays and noise pop music. I mean, <laughs> so what do you say, Malcolm? What was it like being born in L.A. and raised in Maine and living in New York City now? Yeah, it's, you know, I um, I spent most of my life in Maine, um, and uh, but over the past 10 years I've lived in New York City, and while I definitely love it, I still do miss, do miss the peace of Maine. And, yes. um, and as far as Los Angeles, you know, I have, I have a lot of family out there, and I still visit it a lot, but there's, there's uh, something about the culture that I definitely prefer on the East Coast. I got you. Me too. Uh, my wife's from uh, California, and, and I too have lots of friends out in California who go back who buy coastal for that matter. But I've always preferred the East Coast, New York, Philadelphia, Washington, yeah. D.C. That's my track. But let, let's, let's talk. I said we we're going to talk mostly about you at first, and, and we will. But this, uh, this whole career opportunities in organized crime, first of all, my Uncle Gino would love that title. Um, uh, but it's a virtual reality feature-length film. Now, virtual reality, I think uh, we all know what that means, but when it comes to making a virtual reality movie, how do you do that? Yeah, it's um, it, it, it really hasn't been done too much with contemporary film just because, A, there isn't quite the market for audiences with the headsets, Mm-hmm. And then there's the complicated problem of filming with a 360-degree perspective. You'll you'll have to hide the crew and the equipment. Yes. Um, so the so the director uh, used basically six GoPro cameras that uh-huh. were rigged together, and then uh, in post-production stitched together to to blend the uh, 360. Um, so, so it wasn't quite as glamorous as having a uniquely virtual reality camera necessarily, 
Um, but such but, is um, the, such is the the life of independent filmmaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds great, though. But Malcolm, I, I understand you play a lot of villains and goofs and losers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, that's. Uh... That's how I describe my uh, niche roles, I guess. <laughs> I always, I always played corporate villains and hitmen. I, I, you know, <laughs> I suppose there's a range in there somewhere. But uh, what's what's your character's name in uh, Career Opportunities and Organized Crime? And does he fit any of those categories? Villains, goofs, losers? You're speaking to an Italian, so I, I get you. All right. But we, you did mention, so I will give away this. This this is the Russian mafia, not the Italian mafia. Yeah. And the Russian yes, mafia yes. is holding interviews for new recruits. Is that uh, uh, say too much? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's sort of the uh, premise of, of the film. It's, it's styled like a uh, recruitment film. So there's like a documentary team following the Russian Mafia boss in Baltimore um, as they do their day-to-day -day operations and they're trying to expand into more legitimate fields. <laughs> um, but of course there's some overlap and things that shouldn't be seen, which causes problems for the filmmakers and the, in, in the film, yeah. And, and Malcolm, I, if I understand, I remember again from the um, interview with Alex, um, it's a mockumentary, as in right. it makes fun of the documentary style uh, while being this hilariously funny, almost spoof at times, I would say, film yeah. on mobster life or mo mobster recruitment, at least. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, yeah, Alex, the uh, director told us, I don't know how accurate it is, but he said that growing up in Russia, there, there actually were recruitment films for organized crime hmm. syndicates, um, where they try to recruit 20-somethings uh, and they make these strange videos that were supposed to show the perks and the benefits, and um, <laughs> so... <laughs> well, if you could get away with it anywhere, you could get away with it in Russia, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Malcolm, we're having so much fun. Let's make certain we get some some facts in too. Um, not that we've been avoiding those. You played. You've done some work uh, on or seen can be seen on Netflix uh, as a comedic henchman. Yes. Yeah, I play a uh, comedic henchman. Uh, Kamita Tenshman in a film called um, Tenured. Oh, yes. uh, it uh, premiered at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival. It was uh, produced by Fox Digital Studios. Mm -hmm. um, and it's currently on Netflix. Yes. It uh, stars Kate Slannery from The Office. Yes. She plays Meredith, the redhead. And um, yeah, it's, it's basically a, about a depressed elementary school teacher who is teaching questionably good values to these kids, but then his tenure comes into question when his performance drops. Um, and I play the henchman to the villain in that. So. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You also worked on uh, It's a Hit, the pilot? Yes. Yeah, that, the uh, same uh, creative team behind that also did a pilot called It's a Hit that's about a guild of assassins and the main characters having second thoughts about being an assassin. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty absurd. And uh, I, I have a small part in that, again, playing a uh, villain character who gets taken out pretty pretty early on. That's a bit of a spoiler, and I guess I shouldn't have said that. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, I am beginning to see a pattern here, Malcolm. <laughs> well, um, but uh, it's a hit. It premiered at the Series Fest uh, this year, 2016, with yes. um, Abby Elliott, yes, from SNL. Mm-hmm. Okay, very yes. good. And Tim Matherson. And he mm-hmm. he did uh, Animal House, yes? Yep, Animal House and Heart of Dixie is uh, another yes. recent TV show, yeah. So... Tell us about your early acting career. I understand you uh, have a BFA from NYU Tisch Drama. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you came from Maine and went to NYU. That, that that's from, a transition. Came from Maine, went to. <laughs> yeah, I had I'd always sort of done theater, uh, community theater, and school plays. I mean, the, there wasn't like a there wasn't really a booming theater scene necessarily uh-huh. in Maine. Gotcha. Um, but but I was always very interested in it, and then around high school, well, our our high school pretty much only did musicals, uh-huh. and I was never into singing or dancing. But I thought, oh, you know, I should do it if I want to get a good part. So I got the lead in Footloose, uh-huh. which was which was unexpected because because I'm not a good dancer, uh-huh. and I and I really uh, am not good. But, um, <laughs> So I got some encouragement from that and um, auditioned at NYU, got in, did a lot of theater on off-Broadway. And then eventually I realized, you know, why I'd gotten into acting in the first place was because I loved film and I wanted to make movies. And so I slowly transitioned out of theater and into doing more uh, independent film. You know, I, I I have a lot of guests, and we have when we're talking film, have similar stories. I went through, uh, you know, graduate school studying theater, direction, and all of that, and all the while, I, and I love theater. Don't get me wrong, but all the while, I, what I really wanted to do was make movies. So it wasn't until after all of my education in theater that I went into filmmaking. But in any case. How was that transition? I know I'm. I know we mentioned Maine to New York City to NYU, but how about from theater to movie making? That's different. Did that any bumps there on the oh. way? Oh yeah. I mean, I I personally had a difficult transition, and despite even you know taking classes that were specialized in film, it wasn't until I saw myself on camera and mm-hmm. just overacting on camera and doing a more theatrical size with the voice and expression and I was like oh my oh my gosh <laughs> I really have to <laughs> I really have to tone it down or work on you know the film minimalism style yes. um, so that was so that was kind of a big transition and then I and then I think I hit a point where I almost went too far in that direction of minimalism so mm. you know they say do nothing and be yourself and I think that can be misleading if you do too much of nothing yes you inhibit any sort of um, expression yeah so so it's it's kind of a middle ground of trying to find what what plays and the style of the film you're working on yes I know when I I've often said to actors especially in my New York years I I would say you know theater you you make the point with a shotgun. In in film, you make it with a laser beam, but you still have to yeah. make the point. Um, yeah. But I hear you. It's uh, it's something. And and this, you know, career opportunities and organized crime brings with it, you know, all of the the new challenges of shooting 360 degrees. You you oh, yeah. literally absorb, at least visually, I should say, you virtually. Absorb the audience into the film. We're right in. We're in the middle yeah. of it. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, director uh, said when we had started working that that he thought it, it would it would have a lot of similarities to theater acting. 
And mm-hmm. so while I was wary of, you know, oh, I don't want to act, uh, he, he definitely does have a point because the VR lenses, just to capture so much of, of the room, they, they kind of minimize the actor to, to looking more like they're far away and on stage if they're on the other side of the room or something. Hmm. And when we were shooting, it was it was a lot of theater principles just because everything was seen, so everyone was on stage, and it wasn't quite like on film. You can get away with hiding so much behind the camera. Yes. You're not, yeah. But you can't do that and, with 360-degree shooting. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, always have to be on your toes. And because of the mockumentary style, we would do long takes. Um, so you definitely had to be prepared. And if something went awry, it was either starting over at the top or um, or just having to improvise with it, I guess. So what did you anticipate um, now that um, career opportunities in organized crime is being released on Wednesday, August 31st? Again, on realhouse.org. I, how do you think the audience uh, will respond? Do you think, you know, there are people who embrace new things? I love learning new things. I was excited as could be uh, both to hear that I was going to talk to you and when I spoke to Alex, the director, in uh, about four months ago, I was just fascinated, and I still am, at the at the possibility of this new thing. And I guess, I guess the surround sound theater in the round 360 degree six different cameras or whatever doesn't apply necessarily to every genre but uh, what what are your thoughts on any of that that i've said (laughs) yeah (laughs) well i mean there's there's this new immersion quality that just hasn't ever quite been done Mm -hmm. that that I think audiences will find really uh, fun and exciting. And, I mean, the film is, you know, a comedy and a mockumentary. It isn't quite on the scale of Avatar and sensation and artistic splendor, mm-hmm. necessarily. So, so I mean, I think people that would be interested in crime mockumentaries yes. will definitely enjoy it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I think it'll get more attention simply from having that uh, prestige element of just being one of the first yes. uh, 360 films. Um, but you know, I I personally haven't seen it in 360, so I've I've no idea what it'll look like. Or I think it'll be fun. <laughs> yes, I think so too. And I think, as you say. Even if one is just curious about it, uh, it should garner a great audience. I am definitely curious. Again, I, I allude to theater in the round. I always enjoyed that. Not every director does, but I, I do. And it takes a certain style, like, um, uh, what do they call it? environmental theater, where, you know, with murder mysteries and you have to play the room and um, all yeah. that. So I like that. I um I'm not afraid of it, let's put it that way. And this sounds a mockumentary on Russian mafia. I mean, please. (laughs) Obviously, I keep laughing every time I say it. But you have, as I have been told you, you have a favorite theatrical role. Um, Dracula? Tell us about that. Uh, Yeah. Dracula is definitely one of my favorite theatrical roles. <laughs> I guess I guess when I when I played him on stage, it, it was in a uh, comedy called uh-huh. The uh, Ghost of Dracula. Uh-huh. It was sort of premise was sort of like the Breakfast Club gets taken over by the ghost of Dracula, <laughs> who has trounced the characters on stage and forcing them to do terrible things. And, but. I've always been attracted to villainous characters, and when I was a kid, I was, of course, very, you know, Dracula and vampires were just the coolest thing, and so I would often uh, perform sort of like basement plays for my parents mm-hmm. and their friends using uh, an 
neighborhood friends and things we do these impromptu versions of Dracula and stuff. So it's so it has a kind of uh, dearness to my heart playing playing the old vampire. Gotcha. Which I guess. It, it makes sense, you know, I've always, of course, Dracula's supposed to be dead, so why can't he also be a ghost? I mean, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, listen, we've been talking to Malcolm Mills, who is the star of the first ever virtual reality feature-length film, Career Opportunities and Organized Crime. It's being released on Wednesday, August 31st on realhouse.org. That's R-E-E-L, house.org. Well, we're going to be back. We're going to take a short break now, but we will be back. We're going to hear more about Malcolm and his career and how that's developing. But also, we're going to talk more about the film itself. I mean, it's a gangster movie uh, (laughs) in its own right. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. A diving bell must be terribly claustrophobic, locked into a sphere isolated in a tightly bound universe, the opposite of a butterfly sensuously sampling all that the world can offer, discovering new life on every breeze. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly is the true story of Jean-Dominique Bobby, the successful editor of Elle magazine, who suffered a stroke which left him completely paralyzed except for his left eye. Triumphantly, the film is based upon Bobby's own book, which he wrote by painstakingly blinking his eye in a specially developed code. This could easily have been a depressing and claustrophobic film. Instead, the great American painter and director Julian Schnabel has created an award-winning work of art that reveals a very full life and an active mind. Bobby's ordeal triumphantly affirms the human spirit and the richness of our existence, expressed in family, love, lust, beauty, emotion, and terror. Many reviewers have declared The Diving Bell and The Butterfly to be cinema as it should be. But perhaps that isn't right. It's a singular project, one of a kind, a small masterpiece. And if you trust it, as with any work of art, it will gift you with a universe that will exhilarate, transcend, and long remain with you. Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest is Malcolm Mills, the star of Career Opportunities in Organized Crime, which will be released on Wednesday, August 31st. We've talked a a bit about uh, the film and a little more about Malcolm, but they, you know, they merge in any case. So I'm wondering, uh, Malcolm, there are political undertones to this uh, mockumentary. Am I right in assuming that from what I've seen? Yeah, yeah. I think there's, you know, in a lot of the crime and monster film narratives, there's this element about characters pursuing success and power and what are the costs of that, especially to empathy and morality, mm-hmm. where um, the uh, character that I play has been conditioned by his parents and you could say by society just to be successful, to make something of his life. Mm. And when he goes for that and his appetite for success grows his his prior values and his empathy gets called into question Hmm. and it's that sort of faustian dynamic of selling your soul to the devil you could say abstractly and and you know i think that's that's kind of the uncomfortable suspicion that um a lot of people have around the motives of uh politicians today yeah. Can't make a few. Yes. Right. Uh, um, go ahead. No. no. Yeah. Yeah. That was, That's it. That was basically uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he's um, he's driven by environment as well as heredity, biology, to to push so much to succeed that he loses he loses his humanity. You think? Yeah. 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 He uh, he starts out, you know showing to care in, in more um, social issues and he's developing ap- 
applications to help out with uh, women's rights and that all. And then later in the film, as he gets more successful and she doesn't have to worry about those things, then he throws those values away mm. just to in, impress people with more power and to get more power. Okay. Well, you're right. That's definitely a political overtone in, in 2016, at least. I, I mean, I don't think, obviously, gangsters and uh, whether they wear suits on Wall Street or wear, uh, you know, street paraphernalia, I, um, uh, politicians, candidates, I mean, nobody's perfect, but some get so power-hungry that they lose why they were fighting to get to the top of what you know what it was for yeah. I, I yeah. think I think that's a universal theme but I'm I'm very interested in hearing uh, if you can tell us without giving you know spoilers how that works in this particular mockumentary especially that must be a nice tightrope if not razor's edge between making fun of the style and being funny and at the same time surrounding us with a movie that makes us, I think it makes us, if we're not thinking while we're watching it, we're certainly going to be thinking after. What do you think? Right. Yeah, yeah. There's, defin there's definitely a uh, tipping point through the movie where, where it starts out being a comedy and pretty lighthearted uh, poking at social issues and... And then halfway through the film, that it, it, it gets more darker and serious, as you know, the actual repercussions of this is the Russian mafia, and mm. there and there's it has its own set of rules, and um, and when those you know really start to affect the life and death of the main characters, mm. then you know you can question some of their choices along the way and how they could have you know played it safe and probably not as gotten as much money but mm. um they could have stayed alive and it flirts with the whole joke of how would you legally make a film about something illegal yes and um and there's a joke where i i will try not to spoil too much but basically the police come in and it interrupt them in some illegal activity, but the police just lets them go. Hmm. So my character asks, oh, why? Were, was he on the take, or did you have to bribe him? And the mob boss's son says, oh, no, bribery's not effective unless it's on a very grand scale, thanks to uh, Citizens United. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you shared that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh wow! I like I tell you what. Well, I won't go. I won't take the bait, but I thank you for it. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's got to be challenges when you, when you try to pull together what is, I guess we'll call it historically traditional Hollywood filmmaking. I mean, any independent yeah. film breaks away from a lot that is Hollywood filmmaking, but, but not so much as uh, trying to make a combo of Hollywood way of doing things and virtual reality there's yeah. a I don't know how would you describe that marriage is it a bumpy marriage uh, are they here yeah. to uh -huh. yeah it's it's um it's interesting because there's there's this kind of uh, familiar language that that we have in in film and I don't think it that there will be an easy crossover mm. from Hollywood's way of doing things into virtual reality. And I think one of those issues has to do with perspective uh -huh. because we're so used to watching film in 16 by nine mm. and the perspective that, that we go along with, you know, it's either this like spectral hovering along beside the characters mm. or it's the character's perspective or it's over the shoulder. It's this kind of like fly on the wall. Sure. Uh, but but virtual reality it's so immersive you're you're more a fly on the wall than ever mm -hmm. and and in a way it almost calls attention to what you're doing in the scene so maybe it's just because I'm not familiar or audiences aren't 
totally familiar with having that 360 immersion. Mm-hmm. But I think I think one of the things that Hollywood filmmaking will have to grapple with is, is how to how to use that camera's perspective and still tell stories, I guess, without it being too obvious of why the camera's there. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it uh, works well with documentaries or mockumentaries because, you know, it's the camera's there as part of the filmmaker sure. or, or the audience. Yes. Um, well, as but, I... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, well, yeah, that, that, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I, no, 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 it's all right. I, um, I'm just thinking, I think, as I said before, it seems to me it, it has a clear shot at some genre, not necessarily other uh, uh, types of film, and that's okay, you, you know, I yeah. mean, because we like variety as a, as a nation anyway, we're always looking for the latest new thing. And I think also a virtual reality feature-length mockumentary is a logical, <laughs> if I'm not being logical, it's your fault, but it seems to me a logical step after uh, reality TV. You know, everyone was crazy about reality TV, and that was trying to get, although it was rehearsed, but that's just me, but trying to get into something other than boy meets girl, girl meets boy, and then they have a wonderful time, then they break up, then finally they get back together again, despite the villain at the last minute almost, you know, we've seen all of those, as my wife says, why are they always the same? But uh, she's not from America, and so that I take her perspective as one to be taken seriously, and I try to answer it. But um, but uh, as you say, the uh, with people wanting uh, reality shows, even in their politics, it would seem to me that the next thing would be to want to be on the reality show, and then the next thing after that is to be in uh, this virtual reality. So you you guys have uh, plotted that path extremely well, I think. And as you say, fly on the wall. We always refer to that, boy, if we could just be there, you know, when such and such is going on. But with... um, with this film, this mockumentary, you, um, the audience is the fly on the wall, yes? Oh, yeah. 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 How about, uh, there's another aspect to it that I think uh, the director told me, Alex, the, it's not only virtual reality, it's augmented reality? Yes, yeah. That's similar. It, it's not quite uh, what the uh, career opportunities film is, but yeah, that's, that's definitely another thing that's uh, trending very popularly with the uh, Pokemon Go app yes. is, is, is essentially augmented reality because it's taking the vision in front of you and then putting an animation gotcha. to it. You Actually, know, yeah. I appreciate that, uh, Malcolm, because you just explained to me why people would find that fascinating. Now I get it. I didn't know. I haven't tried it, of course, but it just was, it didn't appeal to me. It didn't sound like. But now that you've described it to me of what it is, actually, I might go <laughs> do it. <laughs> oh, well. What do you think about, and we, we touched on this a bit, but how do you think, are there conflicting styles, ideals, practices, uh, approaches in, in between acting and virtual reality and film, a, no, a regular film, and for that matter, theater? Do they do they require you as the actor to go, okay, now what am I going to do now? Now I'm doing this, so I have to do it this way? Or do you just jump in and play your character? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a tough call because they, you know, both, both styles want an, an honest portrayal within fictional circumstances. Yes. But there is this old rule that, you know, theaters bigger and more expressive and louder because the audience is so far away, whereas on camera, the camera's so close, it, it requires a more natural or subtle approach. And, I mean, virtual reality is kind of that mix between them because the cameras 
has an almost theatrical um, approach of being, you know, sort of like a black box or, you know, a small theater in mm. New York. But, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily a totally different approach. I think, you know, you definitely still just have to dive into character. But if anything, it just you, you just have to be more prepared mm-hmm. uh, because there will probably be less cutting or editing. Yes. If it's one single long take within a room, uh, you have to know what's happening and if anything else happens that's not in plan, you just have to improvise with it. I, yeah. You know, you make a good point. It reminds me when I did soaps that... Uh, well, let's put it this way. Time is money, like always. But in soaps, everything's fast. And yeah. um, and they, the director, who, of course, we didn't see, he was in the control booth. We could hear him. And if you heard him, you knew something was very wrong because they didn't, <laughs> they didn't speak from the booth or cut unless something really had gone pretty bad. So yeah. we weren't so much distracted and of course you do a lot of on-camera work you're not distracted by cameras being there because you just forget that and do your thing but what you're saying is an added sure an added uh, challenge for the actor because eventually you get a cut in soaps anyway even Spielberg cuts occasionally (laughs) uh you know um and and then there's that break and we move the camera you know I'm not telling you anything you don't know but if it is such a long, the 360 shot by necessity has to be such a long shot. Yeah. Then, then you, if if maybe it's not even a question of distraction, but you certainly have to be acting constantly. There's no there's no relaxing the moment, you know, cracking your neck or <laughs> standing on one foot or something. I don't know. I help me out here. What what is um, what are yeah. we? Yes, go ahead. There's there's definitely ways you can sort of cheat and get downtime when the camera is not on you and you're doing film. You uh-huh. know, you can you can change out a costume yes. or you know, one thing that I have found is is you know to give a good natural performance, you you want to have a relaxed diaphragm, and so that and. And so that can cause your belly to stick out more. But then if you're on a 360 VR film, you know, you don't necessarily want your belly to look yeah. like it's sticking out. It's yeah. kind of a vain thing to say, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> so there is definitely the challenge of focusing your attention for a longer amount of time and just be on screen more, which is in one way more fun. So... I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did. I mean, the question was sort of rambling, and you you did a much better job at answering it than I did asking it. But yes, you did answer it. I I wonder, in the the last few moments we have, uh, we do want to mention, of course, again, uh, career opportunities in organized crime. I have not mentioned the director's name because I just don't want to mess it up, but it it is Alex... Oshmiansky, I think. Osh- yes, Alex yeah. Oshmiansky. That wasn't too bad. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, we want to mention him because he came up with this, and I believe, Malcolm, that Alex told me it really started out as an experiment, a kind of uh, what if. What would happen if yeah. you know I did something like this? What are your thoughts of approaching movies making that way, <laughs> given, given the results? <laughs> I mean, there's... Yeah, it's- I mean, there's there's definitely some crazy ambition within Alex and a lot of directors who have that dream of doing something crazy and what if. Yes, And yes. he pulled it off really well on one of, like, the smallest crews that I've worked on where mm-hmm. he managed a lot of production aspects. And he and he has a really crazy background of a mathematics degree and yes. a medical degree. Yes. So so he's so he's so he's got this element of 
sort of the mad brilliance and thinking ahead and she has a few patents mm-hmm. on things and so so I think it's interesting that that he wanted to to do this film and and that it turned yeah. out so well, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in many ways, yeah. it's it's. I mean, we can point to uh, innovators, of course, in film and every walk of life. He, I think, in that sense, he's he's right along with Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock, seeing at, at least the shot and the way we cut traditionally differently. Yeah. He, of course, has yeah. gone beyond that, <laughs> but but that's that's the that's evolution, and that's important. So we have been talking with Malcolm Mills, a star of Career Opportunities and Organized Crime, based on, Alex, the director, tells us, some true things that actually happen in Russia, that is, Russia Mafia interviewing to expand their business plan and uh, their employment opportunities. I think that's putting it correctly. We also want to make the point that you can see Malcolm Mills, well, you can see him on Netflix as well, he, he's been involved with uh, Tribeca and with Tenured, and, but the thing we're talking about today is career opportunities and organized crime being released Wednesday, August 13th on realhouse.org, that's R-E-E-L house.org, on iOS, Android, and desktop. Born in L.A., raised in Maine, and living in New York City. So... Uh, and also, we mentioned before, he also writes horror comedy plays. Now, you got to love that. Remember, one of his favorite characters is Dracula and Ghost of Dracula, so we shouldn't be too surprised. But take us out, Malcolm, with something, uh, some memorable moment for you and the film or your career or both uh, that you want to leave us with. And, and if there's any other contact information that I didn't uh, give that you want to share, please feel free, Facebook, whatever. I guess I guess I could share an anecdote from working on career opportunities. We filmed it last summer in Baltimore during a, a heat wave, okay. and so there 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 were some indoor scenes, and of course we couldn't have air conditioning mm. running because mm-hmm. of the sound. Yes, um, and we were all in suits, so it was it was very hot and sweaty, but everyone was so excited that you know, I well I guess in hindsight the heat didn't seem so bad <laughs> but um unfortunately the uh, vr cameras were very sensitive to the heat so we would have to frequently stop and let them cool off in an ice mm. box <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is which uh the uh, director likened to the early cameras in the 1920s yes. and the 1910s that's that right stop for the film to cool off or, yeah. yeah wow that's a great story all right then we're going to have to go. Thanks for sharing that, Malcolm Mills, and sharing your time with us on the Reasonable Voices talk radio show so that we could find out more about the first ever virtual reality feature-length film, a mockumentary, Career Opportunities in Organized Crime, again releasing on Wednesday, August 31st. Thank you so much, Malcolm, for being on the show, and we wish you and the film all the very best. Thank you very much. <laughs> My pleasure. You take care. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Human relationships are complex, and when you throw alcohol into the mix, they tend to get even more so. This simple truth is the crux of Joe Swanberg's Drinking Buddies, a delightfully low-key comedy starring Jake Johnson, Olivia Wilde, Anna Kendrick, and Ron Livingston. Luke and Kate are employees at a craft brewery. They are best friends, they drink together, they have lunch together, and they distract each other from the monotony of work. When Kate's boyfriend invites Luke and his fiancée to join them for a foursome weekend at his family's beach house, their relationships grow muddier, with a little help from booze, of course. The best part about Drinking Buddies is the chemistry between the four main characters, especially the friendship between Luke and Kate, played by Johnson and Wilde. It feels comfortably lived in, and watching their troublesome but burgeoning romantic feelings is like watching a well-choreographed dance. 
But fear not, this isn't Hollywood, and romance doesn't come easily. We might just be surprised to find no satisfying pat ending. We could be left challenged with a twinge of disappointment, sweetened by a slice of the lives of some characters we feel we could know and like. Drinking Buddies. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Same war, different battles. If voting didn't matter, Wall Street bankers and their K Street cronies wouldn't work so hard to suppress our privilege to do it. Nonetheless, it's easier to succumb to the valley of indoctrinated make-believe and inglorious propaganda than to truly scale the mountaintop of humanity's decency, accepting our individual responsibility for our life here on Earth. In 2016, all are called to hold the feet of CEOs, elected officials, and our own to the fire burning for life, liberty, prosperity, equality, and justice for all. The demise of any society from its greatest potential comes from within its people, both those holding the moneyed puppet strings and those dangling from them. Different battle, same snake oil. This war humanity has waged since the beginning of time. Armed with peace and malice toward none, let us soldier on together in our historical presidential election. For in ensemble we are as victorious as David against Goliath. Only the speed of devices and dullness of media as easily manipulated into inspiring mob rule as Second Amendment people are the desperate and frustrated made vulnerable to simple promises of immediate solutions. Our battle now is against brainstorming marketing, defamation of character, and discrimination, wedging us between growing mounds of waste, to either be shoveled away by innovative transformation, or allowed to smolder in a past of revisionist memory. Attempting a century-old replay is a distortion of moral licensing, and the phenomenon of fighting each other to make the future as great as the past a fool's errand, chasing a foggy bottom mirage within a maze of mirrors in the mist. Seventy years ago, Prescott Bush, Fred Koch, and others like them determined, like war, peace could be a line-item business asset, but Cheney... Halliburton Gulf's oil spill, Blackwater by any name, elevated perpetual war as the new gold standard, accelerating global warming by financing the denial of climate change. Same aggrandizing war, different mechanism. Those who have, keeping an iron grip on the neck of the almost had, by making enough money to garner enough power to prevent government regulations from demanding more taxes to provide more for the new majorities and minorities, who've been made invisible under a deflated middle class. Most of our problems aren't problems until we're media convinced to make them so. But voter suppression, income disparity, inequitable economic opportunity, and climate injustice are daily battles that must be won. However, our battles are rarely about what pundits, adversaries, government, bankers, and lawyers say they're about whether wood-burning stoves, coal miners, offshore drilling, natural gas, nuclear power, renewables, or coke machines. Evolution wins, even if only by extinction. So we, who still believe in the Olympian golden rule embedded within, must be more than cheerleaders. In addition to voting, we must inspire ten others to vote as well, and each then register 100 others to counter the self-infected with the intoxication of a self-serving megalomaniac. As firestorms rage against families in California, Oregon, and Wyoming, and Americans are drowning in Kentucky, Las Vegas, Louisiana, Maryland, Minnesota, New Jersey, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and West Virginia floods, let's fight for rather than against each other. 
Our battle cry is cease and desist cash flow to political parties and even candidates. Instead, invest time, energy, and money in future-oriented causes, working for the good of the earth and all who live upon it, like EmergeAmerica.org, PeopleDemandingAction.org, Women-Matter.org, and the ACLU.org. Either we stand together to erase the pain of an earth ravaged by abandoned stewardship, or we can choose to self-destruct while fighting among ourselves over emails, moonlighting foundations, Snowden Russian hackers, and voting to make a point rather than change and save a nation. Our American dream is about making every day election day. Realizing every dollar we spend, every word or label we utter, every smile, thank you, please, yes, agreement, tip, hug, congratulations, selfie, text, social media post we share, is our vote for the life and the America we aspire to be. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.